Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's groundbreaking book, In This Together, landed on bookstore shelves with a powerful message. When we work together, we can do absolutely anything. Guidance from 40 women leaders with specific strategies to help women advance their careers makes In This Together even more relevant today, especially with the pandemic's impact on women in the workforce. Take your career to the next level with Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's In This Together, now available on audiobook. Download your copy today. Real leaders. Who are they? Where are they hiding? And why does the world need more? Hello, folks. My name is Kevin Edwards with Real Leaders Media, and we are on a mission to find the realest of the real leaders. Because in today's day and age, the world's biggest problems are the world's biggest opportunities that need the best leaders. So in this podcast, you'll get to hear from these people. So sit back, relax, and learn from the different leaders who are making a difference in the world. Is, is what is your definition of a real leader? Ah, uh, yeah. Well, I think there's two things about a real leader. One is a real leader is dedicated to making things better for others. Is a leader is able to to change trajectory in a positive way and grow followers. A good leader is a trailblazer that opens new possibilities. Follow your heart, trust your gut, um, and don't be afraid to fail because, you know, failures make you smarter. And um, just keep building, just keep growing, just keep learning. So to all my real leaders out there, the conversation to address the world's biggest problems starts here. That's right, folks. The conversation starts here with Pablos Holman, a futuristic badass hacker who is redefining how business approaches the world's biggest problems. In this podcast, he takes you inside the mind of a hacker, what he's doing to eradicate malaria, as well as how his team is harnessing nuclear waste to supply the world with enough energy for 1,000 years. If you couldn't tell, folks, he's a genuine guy with big dreams to make all of your lives better. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, the real Pablos Holman. So folks, we're live here at Singularity University with Pablos Holman. Pablos, how you doing today? So far, so good. So far, so good. Got got the Red Bull going on? That's a key ingredient. No wings yet, but we're going to get flying (laughs) here soon. Um, Pablos, Tell me a little bit about why you're here at Singularity. Um, so this is the Global Summit, and that's an annual event. And they, what I like about it is people come from all over the world. You know, probably three-quarters of the folks here are not from America, mm-hmm. not from the U.S. And um, what I like about that is people are real hungry for figuring out how they can use technology to you know, to do things wherever they come from, their industry, from their country, from whatever, you know, walk of life they're into. But that process of inventing a new technology and turning it into a product and doing something that's never been done before, you know, we have a lot of experience with that in Silicon Valley. And um, lots of other folks, you know, are... That's not typically their strength. 
and they're not typically from a place that's got that much experience with those kinds of projects. Okay. And you need something different to do that than you need um, to do uh, to do other types of businesses, okay. other types of projects. And so what I like about this event is, is, is at least for me, is it's a chance to kind of share um, my experience and how I see the world and how I see these technologies and how I see them playing out and that process for bringing them into the world and also like, you know, helping people see why it matters. Right. Because, um, you know, technology is a powerful thing. It's a powerful, uh, it's powerful because we get to invent ways to change the equation on how we solve problems. And um, I think a lot of times that's lost. The, the, the reason it's important is lost because people are fixated on, look at this company's worth a billion dollars and look at this you know right. c- college dropout who got rich and you know all these kinds of distractions sure. from the fundamentals, which is about you know humans inventing new technologies, bringing them into the world to solve problems and make the world better going forward than it was in the past. Right. So, and that, and, and if you're listening yeah. at home, uh, Pablos is, uh, quote unquote, the badass hacker for good. So, <laughs> sure. so, so tell me about, uh, you know, if you will. Yeah. So tell me about um, this misconception of people uh, about hackers okay. and kind of what you're doing. You were just telling me yeah. you need to change. I love changing the equation. Right. Um, you know, people are using technology to harness and, and we're getting distracted by all these buzzwords and, yeah. and sound bites and stuff, but, but really um, technology is changing the evolution of business and sure. how are you doing that? Okay, well, first of all, you know, I'm a hacker, but I'm not a criminal. Um, seems like sometimes people right. get those things confused. <laughs> um, hackers are really good at figuring out what's technically possible. They tend to be... Uh, pretty irreverent. Um, they don't care what you think. Uh, they don't care what the right way is. They're not going to read the directions, but they're going to figure out um, a new way of, of doing something. They're going to figure out what's technically possible that you didn't intend. And um, that's, a, that's a fundamental part of what it takes to invent. Mm. right? You have never seen anybody invent anything new by reading the directions. Right. That's illogical. Right. Um, so the people who are good at inventing tend to be the ones who are not playing by the rules. Um, so even though these days less of my work is computer hacking, um, my, you know, the, the certainly like the mindset that I have and my friends and where I come from, that's that's how we do things. And yep. it's different than than engineering, mm-hmm. where you make a plan and then go do it. <laughs> we go do it, and then we figure out how to make it look like we had a plan. Um, so, so that's hacking. Um, you know, for businesses here, um, what I'm trying to show them is, you know, this at, at Singularity University, we're always trying to help people understand what exponential um, means. And we apply that in a bunch of different ways. But fundamentally, an exponent mm-hmm. is, um, is a multiplier. 
in, in whatever the equation for your life or your business is, mm-hmm. right? And so, or whatever your problem is. So if you're going after a problem and you've got uh, some solution that works, if I can bring a technology that makes you 10 times more efficient or 100 times more efficient or 1,000 times more efficient, if I can make it faster, cheaper, better, more humane, any of those things, then that's bringing an exponent. Yes. That's a multiplier that can make you so much more effective so you can solve that problem, be done with it, and get back to doing things that you care about. Mm. So technology is where we get those multipliers. Definitely. Almost all the time. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the things that I think uh, humans have done a poor job of, in, of understanding. Definitely. You know, we still think that we're going to solve a problem with, you know, charity or some government policy or an election or, you know, these kinds of things. And I'm not saying they don't help, but those are just are just running the equation the way we've always had it. They're right. not multipliers. Mm-hmm. So if I can get a technology that makes us orders of magnitude better at solving that problem, that's the multiplier. And that's how we got here. Definitely. Yeah. And I, I think you brought up a really good point earlier oh. in your answer, and that was um, be, you know, following this textbook route. Uh, people and businesses are um, reading the guidelines and yeah. following the guidelines, but where's the change? Where's the exponent that's going to catalyze this change? And where's yeah. the, the thought process that's thinking different? And you know, we're a leadership company, and sometimes mm-hmm. I think, well, I really think leadership, you got to be honest with yourself. Yeah. Sometimes I find myself being a culprit of, of that textbook guideline. Oh, you know, we got to read this new book. We got to uh, read what someone yeah. else is doing and follow that approach because that's what's working for you know Susan B or or Tommy G or whatever it yeah. is. Yeah. And it and it applies to all different routes of business. And folks, if you're just listening to this, uh, you know, speaking about textbooks and sure. you know, manuals and just being traditional. Uh, your host Kevin Edwards is in a suit, which is formal, <laughs> and Pablo is Holman right here is Mr. Uh, black on Black. <laughs> so uh, you know you really got to uh, say that hey, this is a guy that's going to be at a speech that I want to see, and I want to see how his thought process is being different. Um, I don't think I own a tie. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and there you go. See that that would be something that uh, would be in a textbook that would tell you to wear at a business conference. That you sure. Um, yeah, I mean, people are trying to accomplish different things. Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably a time when it's appropriate to wear a tie, um, and I'm not arguing that. Right. Um, yeah. It's just not the part that I'm really good at, and it's not what I'm trying to do. I think people need to, you know, optimize for doing what they're uniquely good for. Definitely. And sometimes, no, uh, you need somebody to do the thing that requires wearing a tie, and sometimes you you know, need to actually identify your KPIs and measure them and try and make sure that you're pursuing your quarterly goals and stuff. And you have budgets and Gantt charts and timelines and these kinds of things. That's all, I'm sure that's all awesome in some (laughs) part of the world, in some business and some stage of your life. That's not what I do. Right. I don't have KPIs. I don't have goals. I'm not trying to do anything that's ever been done before. If I waste my time doing that, then I'm doing what I'm not good at, right. what other people are better at than me. 
So what I'm trying to do is discover what's possible. I want to go and figure out the limit of what's technically possible. And I can't do that if I'm following somebody else's prescribed plan. What are your favorite or your uh, most, what are the best accomplishments that you're most proud of? Well, I think, you know, overall, the, um, the thing that we're trying to prove with our company is that investing in invention makes sense, right? And so a little over a decade ago, we started the Intellectual Ventures Lab as a way of investing in invention. And what people don't realize, so, so at, at one end, you know, the way these things follow kind of a life cycle. And at the beginning, you have scientific research. That's what scientists and researchers are doing. They're figuring out how the world works. Mm -hmm. And there's funding for that. That's what's going on in university labs and mm -hmm. things. And then at the other end, you have like entrepreneurship, you know, go make a business. But, and that's what like venture capital is funding that. But in the middle is invention. In the middle is where I take the output of scientific research, what's technically possible, and I figure out, does this change anything humans have ever done? And can I invent a better way to do something, to solve a problem better with now that we understand something new about the world? That's invention. And nobody's funding that, mm -hmm. right? So um, venture capital doesn't kick in until you have a product and you're going to scale a business and that kind of thing. And sometimes you get invention as a side effect of basic research, but that's not the goal. It's not the mission. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times there's not a lot of support once you, you get out of research. Um, so we're trying to figure out how do you solve for uh, funding inventors. And this is very evident. You know, if you look around you, you probably don't have any friends whose business card says inventor. Right. You know, your parents didn't try to go get into you to inventing. go into inventing. No, <laughs> like be a doctor, be a lawyer. Now it's like be a computer programmer, <laughs> which yeah. is, you know, a certain kind of revenge of the nerds for me. But, right. <laughs> but um, what I think about it is, you know, we're trying to prove that investing in invention works. So what we do is we do what we call invention capital. And we raise money. We invest it not in startups, but in inventions. And we've been doing this for a while. And what's really great is we're at this point now where we have this kind of pipeline of startups that we created with new technologies that we invented that are commercializing. And so over the next few years, um, more than one of them should become billion-dollar companies. Uh, we'll, we'll return more than the entire fund from each of them to our investors, and so it, it will prove that invention capital, while it's a longer bet than venture capital, pays off better. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm excited about that. I'm super proud of, of our entire team for over the years for getting all the way through this process end to end because proving that invention capital works hopefully means that we can go do that at a larger scale and even better, get some competitors, mm -hmm. other people doing invention capital. And this is really the stage of life that venture capital was at 45 years ago. Gotcha. Okay. Right. And, and I mean, at the beginning, venture capital sounded preposterous. Mm -hmm. You're going to invest in companies that never shipped a product before? What kind of idiot are you? Yeah. No, that's not what the conventional wisdom would have shown would make sense. But venture capital has worked out for a certain stage of the life cycle of a new mm -hmm. technology. 
So we're trying to prove that we can adapt that model for the invention stage. And, um, and so, over, so that, to me, that's the thing I'm most proud of, of, of having accomplished because right. that can move the Definitely, needle in sure. every possible way. Outside of that, of course, I'm um, super proud of, of the inventions that we've come up with mm-hmm. at the lab that are, that, that are now affecting the world. And there's, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. And so for people that uh, aren't familiar yeah. with your work, sure. tell them about an example and the process behind that. Yeah. So um, probably the most notorious invention, if you haven't seen it, is um, a machine we invented that can find mosquitoes and shoot them down with laser beams. Wow. And these now, are mosqu- mosquitoes that are carrying diseases? Yeah, because uh, we work with Bill Gates on solving... Um, problems in the developing world, mm. problems especially that uh, are taking the lives of kids. Mm. Half of the kids who die of, half of the people who die of malaria are kids under five years old, and that's over half a million lives a year. So this is the low-hanging fruit in global health. Um, we don't have malaria in the U.S. because we sprayed chemicals that killed everything, and then most of the good stuff come came back. You know, well, that's how, how do the lasers work. How so the laser. So what happens for for us? An invention like that comes out of what we call an invention session. We sort of turned invention into a team sport. So we find somebody with a problem. Mm-hmm. We sit them down. We surround them with a nuclear physicist, a laser expert, a chemist. I'm a computer hacker. Collectively. We know the cutting edge in every area okay. in science and technology. And that might not be true for somebody who's spent their whole career working on malaria in Africa. Mm-hmm. Right? So like I said, we don't have the problem. We had to go to Africa to get it. Right. But bringing that problem back to the lab, I've got massive amount of resources here. I've got all kinds of scientists, engineers, right. inventors, people who can solve this problem. That's disgusting. So we, in, yeah. so we came up with a bunch of ideas about how to combat malaria. Um, one of them was uh, try and shoot them down with lasers because, you know, inventors always want to use a laser to solve any problem because yeah, lasers are Naturally. cool. Yeah. And <laughs> um, we sort of laughed about it, but one of the inventors in the room had worked on Star Wars for Reagan. And the idea with Star Wars was to, uh, it was called SDI, Strategic Defense Initiative. It was to put lasers in space that could shoot down missiles before they, you know, if, if like Russia was su- shooting missiles at the U.S., uh, we'd yeah. shoot the missile out of, the, out of, out of space mm-hmm. with a laser. And, um, you know, he said, you know, we already spent $50 billion proving that that would work. Mm-hmm. And the mosquito is a bigger target in this context because we're only, you know, 50 meters away or something. Mm-hmm. So um, we laughed about it for a while, and then we decided to try it. I hired a hacker. Um, six weeks later, he bought a bunch of junk on eBay, and he was tracking live mosquitoes. Wow. So we make it. So every day I go to the lab. The normal thing, a normal day at the office for me is there's a laser there shooting mosquitoes all day. Wow. <laughs> um, and... That's the future that I live in. And, and that's, that's yeah. fascinating. And I think that's what we're seeing at this conference is yeah. people want to collaborate together. Mm. You don't talk to anyone here who doesn't want to tell you about what they're doing yeah, and right. talk to you about yeah. how they can you know, get, create change in, in this you know, growing economy. Right. Um, so just to reiterate that, sure, you have a problem in the world, mm-hmm. uh, mosquitoes, poverty, 
um, you know, water issues, whatever. Yeah. You come into a room, you bring, or you go to that problem. Yeah. You bring it into the lab, and you have the physicists, you have the researchers, you yeah. have the hackers, you have yeah. everyone and their moms there to work on this issue. Kind of. I mean, the comes. at that moment, I mean, this is nitpicking, but uh -huh. the key thing I believe is to bring the guy who understands the problem. Mm. We have done. We call these invention sessions. We have done them without the guy who has the problem. And we still invent all kinds of cool shit, but it turns out to be mostly useless because we didn't understand the problem. So it's like too expensive, too futuristic, too crazy, and, and probably not going to make sense. And, but yeah. but the, if you got a guy with the problem, then they can help you to steer towards something, say, well, what about this, and what about this? Could this work? And they say, well, that sounds a little too expensive, but maybe if it costs less, then we say, okay, well, if we can do it this way, it could cost less, things like that. The other people in the room, we try to limit it. You don't want too many people. They have to be, I mean, they're, they're, for us, it's, yeah, for us, it's, it's prolific inventors, you know, people we think are going to be able to contribute. It doesn't work for every kind of inventor, mm -hmm. but I mean, you have to be able to, you know, shout down Nathan Mirvold and Bill Gates if you have, if, you know, if you're trying to defend an idea. It's just it's it's a lively kind of uh, teamwork, <laughs> and and so uh, those are the people that you want in the room. And with dealing with so many inventions, yeah. I'm sure you have not just one. Yeah. Um, what I am more confident of asking you the question yeah. than maybe somebody else is. Um, where have you failed? What is a oh, project yeah. that you have sure. failed on? Yeah. And kind of explain to our, viewer, our listeners yeah. why it's important. Um, to yeah, I mean, I spent about a year trying to cure cancer because mm. we had this really cool idea um, for a way to, uh, to cure cancer and um, super high tech, figured out a whole bunch of things about how to make it work, mm -hmm. but then... Um, a year into it, we found out one of our sort of fundamental assumptions about how it worked was wrong. Mm. We had believed that um, uh, a circulating tumor cell would, which is so normally with, when you get, die of cancer, you don't die of like the cancer that grew. It like grew in part of you and then it broke off in this bloodstream and circulated around and latched on somewhere else yeah. and metastasized. And that's what kills you. Right. So we'd heard that that circulating the bloodstream thing, sometimes these tumor cells would circulate like a million times through your bloodstream before it latched on. Mm. And I'm like, if you get a million tries, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I should yeah. be able to find it. So our inventions were a bunch of ways to look in the bloodstream and essentially put a tiny microscope on a fiber optic in your bloodstream and watch every single cell come by, which sounds crazy because there's right. trillions of blood cells. Sure. But I was going to take a picture of every single blood cell and then using machine vision, analyze those pictures and see if is this a blood cell or a circulating tumor cell in real time. And if it's a tumor cell, kill it with a laser like we always do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so all that sounded great. Technically, we figured out how to make all that work, more or less. And then we found out, oh, yeah, no, lots of times they only circulate once in latch on. Like, oh, I didn't get a million tries. I get one try. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's tough luck. So uh, that's okay. But I don't keep banging my head on cancer. Mm -hmm. After that, I went and worked on self-sterilizing elevator buttons. And that's the difference. You know, a lot of people only have one problem. Mm -hmm. 
And so they're stuck working on just that one problem. Gotcha. And uh, if they have an idea for another problem, it's useless. In the context I work in, I get to work on any problem. What is the thing, because all of these ideas and research projects yeah. are fascinating to me, and I'm yeah. sure they are to our listeners. Sure. What is the thing that you are most excited about uh, coming in the future? Well, uh, it's there, there's really no contest because if you solve energy, you kind of solve a, a lot of other problems for free. Absolutely. And um, so energy is one where um, we just haven't done a good enough job with it. You know, a lot. The reason America is what it is is mostly that we just have more energy than everyone else. Mm -hmm. We have more natural resources than everyone else. Right. And um, an American, you know, gets about 11 times as much energy as everyone else on Earth. Mm. And when you look at how we're going to solve that, you know, a lot of people working in, say, solar or wind will show you a demand curve. They'll say, here's how much energy we use today. You add a few percent a year, and you get your demand curve for the future. Mm. Um, which we believe is a red herring. That's not the true demand curve. The true demand curve is how do you give every human on Earth as much energy as you give an American? Mm. Gotcha. Well, um, we're not going to get there with solar panels. Right. And we're going to need a breakthrough in energy storage to make wind and solar really move the needle. So we work on fission. Fission works. We've had nuclear reactors working for our whole lives, but they were all designed before we were born with pencils and slide rules. Um, so we designed a new type of nuclear reactor using giant supercomputers. And lasers? <laughs> and lasers, yeah. Uh, <laughs> our reactor is powered by nuclear waste. It's more efficient than today's reactors by at least an order of magnitude. And... Um, it's a modern, safe reactor design that can't melt down the way like a Chernobyl did. Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, we're trying to develop that reactor because it requires no miracles. No new breakthroughs are necessary. You know, fission works, but we just stop trying mm -hmm. to make a better reactor. So now you, you think the long-term goal, and now I'm yeah. thinking just yeah. way down the line. How far? Um, it depends on who you talk to, I guess. But I'm, how long would it take for um, the entire Earth to yeah. harness all the sun's energy? Well, you, the entire Earth, yeah, no. No, and you wouldn't want to, or the Earth would just evaporate. See, I had heard something that says, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, can we harness yeah. the sun's energy? That and, we are and, harnessing the sun's energy. This energy came from the sun right. to the Earth, created uranium, and it's stored in the uranium. Right. Our job is to get that energy out and put it into use. Now, yeah. and you maybe heard this, yeah. and where I'm going with this, because obviously the sun provides our plants, yeah, you know, sure. it provides our, you know, the, obviously food, and yeah. people are harnessing it with solar panels as well. Yeah. Um, but harnessing so much energy and dominating this planet and then migrating to other planets and doing the yeah. same thing and yeah. using someone thinking of that as an evolutionary model of how society is going right now, do you yeah. kind of see that, or is that just... Well, way, way um, right. <laughs> yeah, it does depend on the timelines you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Like, on a on a hundred year scale, I'd say, um, you know, moving to other planets is not 
not going to be the efficient thing to do. We mm. have a lot of land here. Um, we can handle lots of people if we do it more efficiently. That's what has been happening for the last several hundred years. We've been urbanizing and getting people. We we're farming humans in a more efficient way than we used to. Mm. <laughs> That's what cities do. Um, you know, probably once, you know, there are people everywhere and Antarctica is having population problem, then I'd say let's move to Mars. But Mars is going to be way less hospitable than Antarctica. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. So, you know, that's, that's, it's, and I think, you know, the general idea of like having a backup plan uh, for humanity, because humanity is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Like we put all this effort in over a billion years to, evolved to where we are now and it would sort of suck to lose it all Mm -hmm. um so i think you know for several reasons on a 500 thousand year timeline in the future you know building populations of humans in space and maybe some of that can happen i mean we're starting now but it's going to take a while to get there get people in space get people on other planets Mm -hmm. um develop the technology we would need for human life to go to go to other solar systems on that's on like a you know thousands of years uh timeline yeah let's do it Uh why wouldn't we do that that sounds awesome um we can figure out how to do those things and you know uh the 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 potential is certainly there Mm -hmm. um how far away are we from it going back to earlier how far away are we from having everyone in the world harness the same amount of energy that the united states has right now um well, I think so. In the in the when we do the math, we think we can get there with fission. Mm. Um, we think we can get there with fission, and that that'll buy us a couple thousand years to figure out how to make fusion work. Fission, yeah. Explain that. Fission is when you take so we, uranium is radioactive, right? But it's okay. been it's been decaying, and what that means is you've got these. Neutrons that are that are highly radioactive, okay. and you know there's a bunch of energy right. in them spinning around. And in a nuclear reactor, what happens is you get a, a, a couple of fuel rods, which are highly enriched uranium, close enough to each other that a neutron escapes from one, bombards the other, causes a bunch of extra neutrons to come out, mm-hmm. and then you know bombard some more and you get you're you're creating a lot of heat every time one of those things comes out okay okay the heat is then used to heat up water which runs a steam turbine which runs a generator which makes electricity and ta-da okay that's the that's the same as a coal plant sure you make heat you do all that stuff so um so it's managing what's managing the the radioactivity in those fuel rods and it's very precarious because if you get too many neutrons at once bombarding each other, you get this runaway chain reaction. That's what happened in Chernobyl. Right. So um, it's precarious to manage that. We designed a different type of reactor where um, you start with depleted uranium, and that's too depleted to sustain a fission reaction. You can't uh, run a reactor with it. Mm-hmm. So what we normally do is we take the depleted uranium, run it through this enrichment process, and that means taking uranium, gasifying it, running it in a, in a centrifuge, 
to make highly enriched uranium, and that's U-235 instead of U-238, mm -hmm. technically. Okay. And so then that stuff can sustain a fission reaction. That's what we make fuel rods out of. That's the glowing stuff in the Simpsons. That's amazing. Right? We don't need to do that, because we take oh. the depleted uranium that's safe, we put it in our reactor, and it gets enriched and burned right inside the reactor. Interesting. So there's never a critical mass of fissionable fuel. Okay. Yeah, that's the difference. Gotcha. The other thing people don't realize, today's reactors are 0.7% efficient. 99.3% of the energy <laughs> is in nuclear waste. Really? Yeah. So our reactors that is not good. get the rest of that energy out. Okay. And so, and, and gotcha. we start, instead of mining uranium, we start with the waste left over from making bombs and making reactors. And so yesterday in, the, in my talk, I showed a slide. It's a picture of a stockpile in Paducah, Kentucky. Mm. 700,000 metric tons of depleted uranium that we're just saving for our grandkids to figure out what to do with <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. We'll make drones out of it. I don't know. Lasers. So Right, yeah. So we <laughs> take that stuff that's left over from the enrichment waste, okay. and we put that in our reactor to fuel it. With that one stockpile in Kentucky, we can power the entire planet, including growth, for about the next 1,000 years. That's incredible. And that's not even counting that. the waste that Russia has. And the rest, yeah. you know, so we're in the, and in the rest of the U.S. So it's life-changing. It's life-changing. But, you know, nuclear got politically unpopular in the 80s, and it got regulated into oblivion. Nobody's been trying mm -hmm. for our whole lives to invent better reactors. And I want to circle back around to kind of the, the first thing yeah. that I asked you to, to kind of wrap this up. Yeah. Um, People think of hackers as, as this negative concept. Oh, yeah. When you tell them, I'm hacking for good. And they just don't know me. We're solving problems for good. Um, what would you say to somebody that says, hold the phone. Let's slow down on this yeah. innovation process. Mm. Let's slow down on this technology yeah. because it's too much for my brain to handle yeah, and, right. and I don't like where it's going. Yeah, so, you know, one thing that's really important to understand is that um, by definition, what worked in the past will not work going forward. And it's really important for people to learn to use data to make the decisions that they're trying to make because we're not evolved to do that. We're evolved to make intuitive decisions. Is that a rock or a bear? Do I run? Just fucking run. Right. Um, <laughs> Are you good? Just run because... Um, Better to run from the rock and find out you were wrong than to not run uh, and find out it was a bear. Those are just evolved emotional responses. And that's okay, and it got us here, but it won't get us for, into the future. And the reason is we have new problems. We're trying to keep 7 billion humans alive and more every day mm. with no additional planets, <laughs> with no additional resources. Right. And the only way to do that is to use what we've got in a smarter way. And the way we can do that is by inventing um, new technologies that allow us to do a better job. Now, that means um, it's for all of us, it's our job to figure out how can we do that as fast as possible. And if you don't, and you choose to go slow, or you choose to roadblock the advancement of these technologies, you are choosing 
to end the lives of more people. Mm, right. By making guess, that slower. Yeah. yeah. Every choice like that we make. Here's an example. In the U.S., don't even work, forget the developing world, <laughs> which, it, and which is where the real action is because yeah. we're trying to move millions of people out of extreme poverty. And we do that every day. More people come out of extreme poverty. And it's amazing. And it's actually like the most cool thing is how much progress we have been making. But we're not done. In the US, um, I think it's like 6,000 people a day die on highways, right? Incredible. A self-driving car is a better driver than a human. Yes. It never gets tired. Problem is the human driving. The humans are the worst drivers. Yes, exactly. We can't deploy self-driving cars fast enough. Mm-hmm. But people are a little bit leery of them. Mm-hmm. You know, they've never seen a car drive itself. Right, please. So like, uh, they've seen lots of people do it, and they're kind of normalized to that. And so, you know, some people want to slow down how quickly we deploy self-driving cars. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, when you make that choice, mm-hmm. you are choosing to accept 6,000 lives a day right. instead of zero. Makes sense. Got it. Or one. And, and I think, and you know, whether you like it or not, I think this is uh, qualities of a leader. And you know, we are Real Leaders Magazine. Yeah. And the question I like to ask everybody at the end of their interviews is, um, you're doing all these things where you're changing the trajectory of, of innovation yeah. and of business and of, of solving problems. Yeah. Um, what is your definition mm. of a real leader? Yeah, I've thought about that some. I mean, um, it's a hard job. Mm-hmm. You know, being a leader means um, it requires a lot of, uh, it requires understanding yourself really well, I think, to do a good job. Um, sit, I remember, like, one of the, books I liked um, when I was trying to explore this topic was called Leaders Eat Last. Right. Yep. And, you know, when you're, when you're in that role with other people and it's your job to lead them and take care of them and solve their problems, like, you feel that. You feel that. The only way I can do this well is to take care of all their needs before mine. Mm-hmm. And damn, that's hard. Totally. Um, and because you can't, because it's it is paradoxical because you can't take care of their needs until yours are taken care of. <laughs> uh, totally. So, you know, people get um, pissed off about seeing a CEO get paid so much and this kind of stuff. Man, you don't want that job. Yeah. <laughs> that is the hard job. It's a thankless job. Almost nobody can relate to your situation. Yeah. Um, it's tough stuff, and it's not just le- CEOs or leaders. You know, um, people are, you know, have leadership roles at, like at all levels of an organization, and you know, it's about um, you know trying to uh, implant a practical vision into the into the minds of of your team. You have to be able to. Um, you know, acquire that vision somehow, whether you created it or not. You need to internalize that, and you need to be able to um, get everybody on the same page and get them bought into that vision, whatever it is, even mm-hmm. if it's just better sales numbers than last quarter, mm-hmm. or um, like 
save all the rhinos that are being poached or like, mm-hmm. you know, end global poverty, you know, like whatever yeah. that is. Gary you can't just, it's leadership is not just saying like, it would be cool if we could do it. It's, it's putting the work in to find a practical approach and say, okay, if we do this and this, and that assumption is true and we're right about this and we get lucky here, we win. Mm-hmm. And if you and it's like, it's like Google maps. You know, when you go to Google Maps and put in your destination, it shows you a route in blue and it shows you a couple in gray that are, and it shows you like this one's a little slower and you can pick your route, but you see how you're going to get there. Mm. And a leader needs to do that for their team. They need mm. to make a Google Map and show we go here and there and there and if the traffic's too bad, we're going to swerve this way and we're going to go around the problem that way and that bridge is closed, so we're going this way today. And you're just going to, and every single day you're going to update that map and say, this is the map. We're going according to the map. This is the plan. This is our route. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, at the end of the day, if we find out that anything, any of these assumptions are wrong, any of these things that we're planning on are different than we expected, then we're going to change the route and steer around it. And Definitely. that's the job of the leader, and they got to do that every day. And it's a relentless, it's a relentless uh, kind of work. And I think that's what your venture embodies. It's, you know, you have a problem. Yeah. You bring together all these different people to yeah. achieve a common goal. Yeah. And um, that's what we consider leadership. Yeah. So, Pablo Holman, the badass hacker, all in black. Appreciate your time. <laughs> hey, man. my pleasure. Thanks. Take care. Yeah. All right, folks, that wraps it up for you out there and listener world. If you like this podcast, well, stay tuned for the next one with Diaslan Gonzalez of Microsoft, where she'll get to tell you about the future of business and technology with her insights on mixed reality. Ooh, mixed reality. It's pretty interesting stuff, folks. I learned a lot in the interview, and Diaslan is a fantastic woman. So stay tuned and never forget, anybody can be a real leader.